This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to AOA. I tell you what, this is a very exciting day. We are on location on the convention floor here in Houston, Texas, for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. I'm on location thanks to our friends at the National Association of Corn Growers, National Corn Growers Association. Excuse me, I need more coffee today, but we are going to be having good conversations. Today, we're really talking about the intersection between cattle and corn. Folks, that is a match made in heaven. As a lot of you folks well know, that deliciously marbled corn-fed beef is, well, what a lot of folks think of when they think of American beef. To help us walk through all of the issues being impacted by both the cattle market and the corn market and all of the interplay between them, we're going to be talking to guests today from the NCGA. We'll be talking to folks from the U.S. Meat Export Federation. And to kick us off, Mr. John Linder from the NCGA is joining us today. John, well, it's a busy week down here at NCBA, isn't it, for you guys? Oh, isn't it great? Such a great opportunity to spend time with the cattlemen. Uh, had dinner with some of their leadership last night, and the conversation is just so engaging. They're so uh, pleased to be able to engage with us as we are with them. Looking forward to those synergies where we can actually be effective together for all of agriculture, but especially for us corn farmers, our value chain. Absolutely. And that's where, where corn and cattle really fit well together is, is we've got this fantastic feedstuff here in this country and we're able to add that value and walk it off our farms in the belly of a steer. John, how long has NCGA and NCBA been working together to celebrate this uh, partnership? You know, I, I wasn't there at the beginning, but obviously my tenure with uh, National Corn, I'm, I'm 10 years in and chairman on my way out. So. You know, it's, it's been really uh, rewarding for me to engage with the cattlemen at the time that I have, and I know that they've always appreciated the relationship. So those, those synergies, as I mentioned, have been there for a long time. Certainly, uh, interests have uh, waned in different directions at times because of, you know, economics and uh, events that happen in Washington, D.C. that separates our, our attention. Uh, but, you know, I think there's so much right now going on in D.C. and so much in the consumer market right now, it pays us well to be involved, you know, involved together on these topics. Absolutely. And, you know, when you mentioned consumer preferences, John, this is something that, that we talk about a lot because in agriculture, obviously, as producers, we're one or two steps removed in most cases from the consumer. But one thing the consumers have been talking about and demanding, it seems, is sustainability. John, we're all kind of tired of saying that word in ag, but it matters. And I know NCGA is, is working on that sustainability picture here at, at NCBA. Tell me a little bit about what you guys have been doing. Well, shame on you for bringing it up before I've had coffee. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it really isn't a buzzword. There was a time sustainability is a buzzword. And if I could encourage any grower listening, um, tune into it a little more because it's important to us now uh, more than ever. And obviously for us as producers, it's a three-legged stool, you know, economic, environmental, but that third one, that social sustainability is what we're really talking about now. That is the new driver of today. And so we need to be out in front of this or we're, we're going to be told how to produce. And we really can't appreciate that because that destroys economics. It does. It does. And it changes the way we do business. John, when you talk about the, sh the social support leg, this is the idea that consumers are demanding this and they're demanding it either to pay with their dollars, right? They'll pay a premium for things that have sustainability. Or, I mean, as you mentioned, it could be requirements to change the way production happens if we're not meeting these goals that uh, consumers are setting. Oh, you said a lot there, Mike, because a friend sent me a message uh, about some of the economics in California where he goes in the wintertime, and he's been a successful businessman, but he said houses that are selling for 50% more than they did eight months ago. The number one Cyril Emmer Corvette that sold for millions of dollars at auction, you know, and it's a 2023. So people are willing to open their pocketbooks and pay for things they want, so pull that back. 
to their food chain. Absolutely. Folks yeah. will pay a premium for what they desire. And it seems to be very vogue as we come out of this pandemic. So it's real. Well, and NCBA, NCGA, rather, I know you guys just released uh, your, your sustainability goals. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're looking at specifically in terms of sustainability? Well, be glad to. You know, land use is, is so critical. We've, we've got tagged with, um, for, forgive me saying it to Cattlemen's Ethanol, our second market, largest market. Um, we've got tagged as being guilty of opening new lands to produce ethanol, and it's so, and so not true. Uh, production has outpaced demand still today, and so it's really not taking new land. We've seen some shifts in the Dakotas, face it, you know, years ago they didn't produce corn. So we have seen shifts in new lands for production of corn, but they were prior crop lands. And so we really have to look at that. And so our sustainability goals, we're looking at the opportunity to utilize 12% less land per bushel by 2030. You know, and then we roll into the energy. We're looking at uh, the opportunity to use 13% less energy producing that same bushel. We're looking at reducing the greenhouse gas emissions by 13%. We're looking at further reductions in, in uh, loss of soil. It's so important to us. Erosion reduced by 13%. A 15% more efficient use of water. Those are our goals. That's where we're going by 2030. And our Corn Sustainability Advisory Group. I just said last night to President Edgington, I think we need to put them on the road, get them out in the different regions and the corn producing areas and have those conversations about what it means in those areas because it's not the same for everyone. That's the key. That's the key. What what gets me 13% fewer inputs on, on an Iowa farm is going to be substantially different than a North Dakota farm or a Georgia farm or a Texas farm. So, John, with these goals in place, and you've got a, well, geez, eight-year timeline now to, to get these percentages down, is the technology there? Do you think we've got the tools in place to have a cut like this in terms of energy usage, in terms of water? Oh, you know, if anyone were going to say that technology is not going to keep pace, I would, I would just say, look at the last decade. We have on the farm experienced such shifts in technology and the equipment manufacturers, uh, what they're delivering as opportunities for us. And in the aftermarket folks are bringing products that are just amazing tools to use for us to track that data, actually on a personal level. And that's so important. When we can do our own analysis on our own farm, we're gonna realize that this is real and we can make it happen. Absolutely. It's, it's going to take place. All right, Technology John. is going to be a big play. It is. It is. And that's going to continue coming. John, for farmers who are thinking, all right, maybe I should learn about some sustainability here. Where can they go to read this report and to hear what NCGA has been working on on the sustainability front? Yeah, it's really easy on www.ncga.com. You know, just if it doesn't scroll across screen because it still is on my phone, um, you can click on it there or look under the issues tab and you can read the full report it's a really nice read and it talks about a great story from 1980 to 2015 what we've already achieved really really amazing numbers so it's fantastic the growth in the in the corn industry's ability to be sustainable has happened already it's going to continue that was john linder chairman of the ncga board when when we return here from the floor at ncba we're going to be talking to troy schneider chairman of the market development action team stay with us on aoa hi this is mike pearson you're listening to aoa agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind. Like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. But pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 
Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves, If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, we, we We are are the the Foundation foundation Fighting fighting Blindness. Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day here on this February 2nd. Well, this Groundhog Day, I should say. And folks, I've got bad news. If you follow the Groundhog as your weather forecaster, Puxatani Phil saw his shadow this morning. So six more weeks of winter. I know a lot of you folks across the central Corn Belt right now are feeling that winter impact today as that massive snowstorm makes its way across the Corn Belt. Folks, if you're tuning in and plowing some snow in that weather, do be careful out there. I'll tell you what, it's not snowing where I am. I'm down in Houston, Texas today. We're at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association annual convention down here. Our friends at the National Corn Growers Association brought me down to talk about the intersection between cattle and corn. We just heard from John Linder, chairman of the NCGA board, and now it's time to talk to Mark Swanson. He's the chairman of the U.S. Meat Export Federation board. He's the CEO of Burko Corporation. Mark, thanks for taking the time to sit with me here today. You bet. Thank you, Mike. USMEF, we've talked about the Meat Export Federation on the program before. Obviously, you guys are doing great work. What was it that got you involved with the Meat Export Federation uh, back when you first joined? Um, well, that's a that's a really interesting question. We, uh, my organization, the, the company that, that I represent, Burko Corporation, um, we're a supplier to the red meat industry. And one of the things that we do is uh, for all the processing plants across the U.S., um, 95% of all beef that is produced in the U.S. either goes through uh, part of our equipment or uh, some of our, our processing chemicals that, that help clean these plants. So intimately connected intimately. to the beef industry. <laughs> Very. So U.S. Meat Export Federation. Obviously, when we're exporting U.S. meat, we're also exporting U.S. corn. 
And Mark, talk to me a little bit about how USMEF works with corn growers, both the NCGA at the national level and the state associations around the country. Sure, you bet. Um, well, corn growers are obviously a, a critical aspect to, to USMEF. USMEF has nine funding sectors and corn growers represent one of those, one of those sectors. Well, when you, when you consider the volume of export, of beef exports that are traveling across the globe, roughly 15% of all red meat production goes export. Well, if you do the math and you figure out how much corn is going into those beef exports traveling across the globe, uh, corn growers are a critical part of the entire food chain and, and we certainly appreciate all their support and help. When you talk to folks around the world who are looking at, at interacting with U.S. meat, beef in particular, Mark, what are they looking for? What qualities of, of U.S. beef do we bring to the world stage that folks just can't find other places? Well, we, we have the unique position of having the highest quality uh, grain-fed beef uh, on the globe. And, and there is no other country or region in the world that can match the quality um, from both a, an eating experience as well as food safety of the U.S. beef uh, production. Well, when, when importing countries want to have a, a, a high level of eating experience for their consumers, um, frankly, there is only one place they can go, and that's U.S. beef production. You mentioned food safety. Now, I've been having conversations here on the trade show floor with different folks involved in the beef industry. And as an American, mm -hmm. food safety is, is kind of taken for granted. I, I have honestly never thought twice about the food I'm putting in my mouth, mm -hmm. whether it's going to keep me healthy, whether it's going to make me sick, et cetera, et cetera. I realize that's a luxury we've got in this country that folks yes. around the world really don't share. So when they look at, at U.S. beef, they're also looking at the, the supply chain, the food safety regimen. I mean, they take all mm -hmm. of that into consideration, it sounds like. Correct, correct. And then one of the unique aspects um, of the U.S. beef production uh, food chain is we do have the fortunate um, experience of taking it for, for granted. I mean, we assume that the food is going to be safe, and that is that is a, an accurate assessment. That's not the case in the rest of the world. Um, you know, the, the U.S. has a phenomenally um, efficient and safe food chain, and when you're an importing country, um, and you can also make that assumption, that's a differentiating part of the model that, that really no other country in the world can offer. Mark, I want to ask you about China. Obviously, we've seen phenomenal beef exports to China this mm -hmm. past year. Their market is open, it seems. They're developing a taste for U.S. beef. Mm -hmm. I tell you, the number of conversations I've had with beef producers who are really excited to see mm -hmm. China writing some checks, and those checks cash, I think, is, is keeping them pretty pumped. As you look at the market opportunities in China, who are the buyers of American beef? Are we selling mainly to the, the richy riches across China, or are we making it down to the, I, I don't want to say common right. worker, but are we seeing the middle class get, get access to? Well, what's really, really interesting about China is that the, the obviously, as everybody knows, the, the number of people in China is enormous. Well, as China moves up that economic scale and their middle class has grown, when you have that number of people that are moving into the middle class, that middle class is the consuming public in China. Well, that creates an enormous market just because of the volume of people, but also because they're shifting into that middle class, which creates a great opportunity for U.S. beef exports. Do you see that continuing through 2022? Uh, probably through 2022. I think the one caveat that we always have to put on with China is the unknown. They're, they're, they're a little unpredictable. Um, and and you, you never know when politics will get involved. But just from a consuming public standpoint and the fact that there's a growing middle class, um, the future looks pretty bright. That's fantastic. And you know, we don't, we talk a lot about China because they're new and it's a good story. And like mm -hmm. you say, 1.3, 1.4 billion mm -hmm. people right. getting access is a big number. But they are kind of fickle. And we have seen China move in and out of the markets. And of course, that makes it a little scary to depend on them. So it's always good to build that uh, that audience. Mm -hmm. How is USMEF working with other countries around the world to make sure we've got not all our eggs in one basket? You bet. 
Well, we can't ignore our, our, our number one and number two trading partners, which are, are Japan and South Korea. And those are wonderful partners. They increase the value of, of beef exports substantially. And USMEF is always um, continuing to grow the exports into those markets and, and, and bring value to those markets. In addition, uh, MEF has had the, the benefit of really um, having a strong outreach. Uh, we have people coming in from other countries right now. We've been going to other countries. We haven't, we haven't, you know, sat on the sideline through this COVID. We've been doing outreach. So we've had people coming in from Europe, uh, Africa, um, really many in the Middle East. And so we've been doing quite a bit of outreach and continuing to grow and foster beef exports in all these other parts of the world. So, you know, when, when one market does have a, a hiccup um, and maybe some political, uh, you know, ramifications occur, USMEF is laying the spade work, so we have exports going into all parts of the world, and we continue to have growing exports for the, for the beef industry. Where do you see, other than China, where do you see substantial growth potential existing here in the near term? Mm -hmm. um, we're seeing uh, in the in the Caribbean. Oh. We're seeing growth in Africa. Africa, um, surprisingly, has a huge growth opportunity for U.S. beef exports. Uh, Europe has been a little bit fickle. Um, but, you know, you take the EU as a whole with 750 million people, um, there is growth opportunity there. Um, but we're also seeing in, in, in areas like, uh, you know, Taiwan and, and Vietnam. Um, and, you know, we certainly hope that exports to South Korea and, China and, and Japan continue to grow. Yeah, yeah, it's great to have a, a buyers of our high-end stuff, you mm -hmm. know, overseas. You sell a whole basket of it across That's the right. pond. And yeah. we can't forget about Mexico. Right. Mexico takes an enormous amount of beef. And with USMCA, now we've been, it's been in fact uh, a year. Has that uh, supply chain been able to stay open? Has that proved to be a, a good freshening of that NAFTA trade agreement? It has. We've had, we've had great success with both Canada and Mexico, and we've continued to see trade, uh, both beef and pork, um, you know, heading, heading north and south of the border. Mark, Europe, you touched on it. The challenges into Europe, mainly political and regulatory rather than financial? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. The uh, personal opinion is we get our high quality product over there, the demand's gonna be there because the, the, there's a large middle class in that, in that particular part of the world. And if we can get our product over there, they're gonna love the product. The political ramifications, have been difficult and that's been extended for you know virtually decades. Do we have an opportunity with the Brexit vote in Great Britain to make some inroads in the UK? Well, I think that could be that could be a starting point. Um, we've had some exports going over to Europe uh, for a while. Um, there's pretty high restrictions on it, but I think the the UK could be a good opening of a of a door for us. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on all the markets around the world for American beef. Mark Swanson, the chairman of the USMEF board, thank you so much for talking to us today. You bet. Thank you. Appreciate it. And folks, stick around. We'll have more conversations from the NCBA trade show floor. I'm here in the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth 600. If you're in Houston, drop on down. Tell us, hey, we're here with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Stay tuned. More AOA coming up next. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen with this market update. 
Well, as we take a look at the grain and livestock sector, especially the grain markets, we have slipped well off the highs that we saw in the overnight session. We set new contract highs across the entire soy complex once again. We touched the highs in March quarter and set a new contract high in December quarter in the overnight. But we have since seen markets fade back a little bit here through the mid-morning trade. We are still watching the geopolitical issues with Russia and Ukraine. That is weighing on the markets, easing a bit here today. We're also continuing to watch South American weather. We saw Stonex Brazil earlier this week drop their soybean production estimate to 126.5 million metric tons, down from 134 the previous month and down from 145 the month before that. Other private estimates have been similar to lower, and this is a game changer if these numbers are verified by the combines and the market seemingly trading those numbers here right now until we get verification. We've seen plenty of speculative money flow into the markets yesterday with the new month and using that as a hedge against inflation and we're seeing if we will get more spec money flow into these markets as we go through the day today and the rest of the week but again we are well off the highs here to start trade taking a look at a few current numbers march soybeans up four at 15.32 and a half march bean meal down 60 cents a ton 435.40 march bean oil up 28 points 66.11 corn for march down two and a quarter 632 and a half march chicago wheat one and a half lower 767 and a half March Kansas City wheat down three seven eighty three and a quarter. March spring wheat up two and three quarters nine seventeen and three quarters. Livestock trade mixed to mostly higher. February live cattle up seventy two one forty one oh two. March feeders up one thirty two one sixty five oh two. February hogs unchanged eighty eight fifteen. More with Mike Pearson live from Houston Texas coming up here on AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, howdy, folks, I'm saying today. Of course, I don't say howdy generally. I'm an Iowa farm boy, but when in Texas, right? You got to do what the people do down here. I'm in Houston, Texas today at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association annual convention down here. I am at the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth. If you're in Houston, come by and find us. We're booth 600 here this morning, and we are here with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. We're talking about that partnership between corn and cattle and I've said it before, that's a tasty partnership. Helping me talk about these issues is Troy Schneider. He's the chairman of NCGA's Market Development Action Team. Troy, we're talking to cattlemen here today, NCGA, NCBA, you guys have had a partnership. Tell me a, a little bit about where you see this partnership going between cattle and corn. Thank you, Mike. The, the partnership between cattle and corn is, uh, is a very critical one to us. You know, if you look at where our corn goes, about 37% of our life, our crop each year goes into livestock consumption. Plus, you throw in the distiller's grain, and it's huge. And then beef that's exported, it even gets bigger. So we have to look at that. And, you know, the hot topic of today is sustainability. And, you know, national corn growers, we rolled out our sustainability issue, our goals for 2030. Last year, we have it in a, you know, all typed up, it looks great, it sounds good. We have to make sure that our partners out there, like National Cattlemen's Beef, have that information. They understand that information. We're working together so when 
somebody comes up and said, okay, they see the cattle in the feedlot eating that corn, how is that getting, how is that corn being developed? Is it, you know, what's the footprint? And so we have to work well together on that. You know, a lot of policy issues in D.C., both both of our teams work well on that. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about the, the sustainability. Having that information work its way both up and down the supply chain is crucial because we're no longer siloed, I guess, in agriculture. Corn growers and the, the work and the, the inputs it takes to grow corn doesn't just impact that corn crop, right? It impacts the carbon intensity score for ethanol. Yes. It impacts, you know, potentially how, uh, how beef uh, cattle feeders might be looking at the crop. Is this a trend longer term? Troy, as, as this starts to develop and we see sustainability goals built into things, are we going to see the premium slip away and it's just going to be the cost of doing business to be sustainable? I think to a point it will be the cost of doing business, but it's the world we live in. It's what our consumers are, are asking for. And so with that being said, you know, we have to evolve. We have to move with, roll with the punches and move forward. And, you know, you're talking about that partnership with National Cattlemen's Beef. Uh, with national corn, what we're trying to do is just make sure that we communicate together and that we can tell that story. It's not, like you said, we're not siloed anymore. It's not the corn guys over here and the cattle guys over here. We're all in this together. We all kind of have that target on our back and we have to be able to tell our story very efficiently and very effectively there in Washington, D.C. and across the nation. Yeah, no, that's that's the truth because you got to tell that story to the consumer because otherwise they're going to be bombarded by facts that might not be accurate, I, I think is fair yep. to say in some instances. Troy, obviously we're at NCBA, we're talking a lot of cattle. We're also talking corn, we're mm -hmm. talking all products, ag. As you look out for corn in the new market area, sustainable aviation for fuel. This is something that's a really hot buzzword. I hear lots of enthusiasm from soybean growers, I hear it from corn growers, it's you know rendering plants, everybody's fired up about SAF. What is it, Troy? It is a it's a market out there that I think has great potential, and at the same time, as we look into it here in Saint in uh, Saint Louis earlier this month, earlier in January, I should say, we as Market Development Action Team we voted on funding some renewable aviation fuel studies. However, at the same time, we don't want to take our eye off the prize with E15 and other things that we've developed with our ethanol. It's uh, it's a multi front task that we have to look at, much like what we did when we took on, you know, the argument, food versus fuel. And, you know, I, I tip our hat to the leadership here at NCBA and NCGA and our staffs that we worked through that, we kept the communications going, and now everybody's on the same page. We know we've got enough corn out there to feed, to do both, and that is a huge uh, hurdle that we had to lift, but it took cooperation on both sides and the partnership on both sides to do that. And Troy, I've got to ask you, I'm seeing shades of 2012. We've got a crude oil rally. We've got corn price climbing. We've got empty grocery store shelves in some parts of the country. Are we hearing that food versus fuel argument again in corn or is it mostly, I mean, have we beat that thing back far enough that it's not coming back? I think we've beat it back. Uh, we've educated, we've reached out. Like I said, the staff has worked well together, both staffs, both leadership organizations. Um, I think we're, we've moved past that and, and very grateful that we've moved past that. Yeah, I bet that was that was not a fun conversation no. for four years, really, yes. from 08 through through 2012. Had to have that discussion. Uh, what other markets are you keeping an eye on, Troy, uh, for corn here over the next three to five years? Is there anything percolating that, that you're excited about? I'm excited about some of our foreign markets with ethanol. And, uh, you know, I know with our, our one of our other partners, uh, U.S. Grains Council, they've just opened up an office in India. That export market for ethanol is huge. I hate to say it, when you look at DDGs, it's kind of tough to tell what's the co-product anymore. Yeah. I mean, that- When you're looking at plant profitability yes, in the ethanol space? That distiller's grain is huge, and the amount of distiller's grain we export right now is, uh, it's awfully impressive. Ethanol's still impressive, you know. Um, I'm from Colorado where 87% of the corn crop in the state of Colorado is fed to livestock. So when I see our corn getting exported, it's in the form of beef. True. You know, and very, very glad to be here with the USMEF. You know, they're, they're great neighbors of ours. They're right in Denver, Colorado. And uh, it's exciting to see that go on in Colorado and across the nation. 
Troy, I want to swing back to this uh, ethanol market developing in India. Are they using any form of, of biofuels in India right now that we can be a plug-and-play replacement for, or what are the challenges and opportunities in India? Uh, there's a. It would be industrial use in India right now. Okay. Um, there's different rules and regulations as to the, you know, bringing ethanol in for um, in automobile use. So it'd be industrial use, the cooking use. Um, you know, that's the, that's the driving force there. And I think as things open up, that'll change. But it's one step at a time. And when we're talking one step at a time with international diplomatic relations, Troy, I, I can't imagine we're expecting a quick turnaround no. on a lot of these questions. No. This is a multi-year front yes. you guys are pursuing. Yeah. We've got India. We had some enthusiasm about ethanol exports going to China. Mm -hmm. Now with COVID, has that kind of gone on the back burner? The Chinese government's just got enough other stuff they have to worry about? I think so. It, they, they've got enough other stuff, but we're still having those conversations. Those, those relationships are still being built because you know, uh, I'll, I'll drop a name here, uh, Bruce Rohr from Iowa, former board member of National Corn, good friend of mine, uh, former member of the market development. Today's, tomorrow's markets are developed today. And as we have those conversations, we don't know where everything's gonna be going, but we know we have to have the relationships that as those doors open or the po politics change across the country and across the world, we have an opportunity and we have our foot in the door there. That's the key. You want to be, when somebody's making, looking to make that first purchase, you want to be the, the guy the phone rings for, yes. right? You want them calling your office first thing whenever they're ready. Exactly right. Troy, we're talking sustainability, right? It's on everybody's tongues. I think I've said that word 90 times on the show so far yet today. But I want to talk decarbonization. That's a big word here where carbon intensity matters a lot. When we think about where crude oil goes and fossil fuels goes, it's not just fuel in our car, right? It's not just uh, the industrial use, it's plastics, it's things like exactly. this. As you look out for corn in the future, I, I know corn plastics have gotten some, uh, they've done some research on that sort of thing. Do you see the corn kernel being cracked in more ways to help replace petroleum? I think so. Um, you know, this last year we had Consider Corn Challenge number three uh, that market development put together. And, you know, there's some new usage out there, uh, whether it be in plastics. And, you know, we talked the long game. I can remember growing up in the early 80s and you had the, the biodegradable packing peanuts that were corn or the, the plates and it seems like we don't get anywhere but if you take a step back get re-engaged into it we have gotten a long ways there are more products that are made with corn right now than ever before and I think as technology expands and people understand how they can use that plant I mean you know it, it's an amazing thing that that corn plant put it in the ground it, it gives us you know it does the carbon dioxide oxygen gives us that corn kernel we can feed our cattle we can run our vehicles on it the after feed there's for you know right now my my one of my twin boys is back home feeding cattle on corn stalks because we just had some snow so it is, uh, it's an amazing little plant that does a lot of good things for our country. It certainly does. Troy, before we let you go, looking out to this next growing season, do you see acres there in, uh, in eastern Colorado changing, or is most folks going to stick to their rotation? Uh, we've been in a severe drought in eastern Colorado, and, our, and we're, under, we're on top of the Ogallala Aquifer, so we have limitations as to what we can pump. Um, until about a week ago, I would say there was going to be some changes just because of the limitation of water. Uh, we can only pump so much water. Uh, last year we, we came, all of us came very close to hitting our limit on how much we could have pumped. And so there was some look at going to sorghum. Um, not, the, the soybean market in our area is not that strong um, just because of the demand in our area. I, I would like to see that change, but dry edible beans are always an option. Oh. But um, you know, last week, um, a week ago, Yesterday we we ended up with the in a small area we ended up with 15 26 inches of snow so oh, wow. that may change a lot of a lot of things yeah yeah things to talk about for sure Troy Schneider the chairman of the NCGA Market Development Action Team thanks so much for talking to us today thank you very much and folks stick around we'll have more AOA from the Convention Center floor here at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association in Houston stay with us.
Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So, when was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. 
In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, hello, folks. I'm still coming here from the convention center floor here in Houston, Texas, at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association annual meeting. I'm here again with our good friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Joining me for this segment is Chris Edgington, farmer from Iowa, president of the National Corn Growers. Chris, obviously, animal ag, corn, vital combination. You folks are here. Where else do you see this partnership uh, showing up throughout the year? Oh, you know, we work at the livestock industry on all kinds of things because they're, you know, they're our number one customer, you know, in, in total product used. And, and so we're always working on things and, you know, trying to, you know, and we're starting to work on sustainability issues together. Um, um, it's a good fit. Um, so we'll, we'll spend more time talking about, about opportunities that we can work together. But, you know, we, we fully support the U.S. Media Export Federation and, and what they're doing to help move product out because the more product they can get out of the country, the more the domestics will feed, the more corn they need. It's a win-win for corn and, and livestock in general. So um, it's, been, uh, it's been a great relationship and working together in the past, and it'll continue to be that way. Chris, you mentioned sustainability, and I've been joking with folks, we're saying it a lot on the show today because it's a, it's a crucial topic in the ag industry right now. Tomorrow, NCGA is doing a panel with Alanco on sustainability. Can you talk a little bit about what you're going to be sharing with the audience here in Houston? Well, you know, we're going to talk about what sustainability maybe means, mm. um, and well, which is mean? which, which is a challenge. Yes, because the it's it's still moving, it's still flowing, um, because it means different things to different people. Um, obviously, in crop production, for us, sustainability revolves around um, soil, water, air, yields, uh, families. Uh, you know, sustainably, uh, the business is economically viable and sustainable for the next generation. Um, and livestock's no different than that. Um, they're, they're maybe take a little different approach because it's a little different material and product that they're producing, um, but it's still about how do we, how do we become more efficient um, and work better with the environment and still have a business that's viable for the next generation. And how do you think we're going to do it? You know, we were talking to Troy earlier. He mentioned that technology really seems like an answer going forward. John Linder, same. We're enthusiastic about the, the precision technology. What are some other big moves you see for corn to be more sustainable? Well, you know, some of it's just simply uh, small steps. And, and that's the part that, you know, our goals are water quality, water less water usage, nitrogen efficiency improvements. But it's not just tomorrow. It, it'll take five and 10 years because it's a slow, gradual approach. We, we didn't, uh, you know, make the improvements we've already made in one year. Um, and so we won't make the next round of improvements in one year. Um, but it'll be little things. There'll be genetic improvements. There obviously is, is technology, but but there'll also be a better understanding of, of maybe the environment and, and some of the things that come with that. And, you know, we, we work hand in hand every day with Mother Nature. And there's some years that uh, it's pretty frustrating. Yeah. And then there's some years that, man, this was a great relationship. So, um, you know, and you've got to be able to, to adapt to the year you get uh, because we don't, we can't script it when yeah. the year starts. It, it's, we kind of do that on the fly. And so flexibility is 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 really a big piece of yeah. You a can't take piece. a mulligan in agriculture. No. You, you get that one shot, and that's that. Yeah. Chris, sustainability. I'm going to bring it back to that one more time, and then I'm moving off the topic for the last three or four minutes of the show. But the the conversation I have with with farmers and ranchers about sustainability is it's a moving target, right? We don't have a good definition. The science is still advancing. So why should I get involved today? if it's gonna be a different definition or perhaps a different shake on sustainability two or three years from now? How do you get buy-in at, at this stage of the game? Well, you, you need to be engaged um, at, at your level. Uh, in your in, And for some people, that's you take one step. Um, it might be adding one piece of technology. It might be changing a practice. It might be a different crop. Um, and there are huge differences. You know, corn's grown in 49 states. 
the weather is different in, in those states. Um, you've got regional groupings of weather, but weather plays a big role. They, they do things different in North Texas than, than what they do in North Iowa, but we both do things different than they do in Maryland. And, and so, you know, or California. So it's, it's, you, you need to work within your region. Uh, it's, one of, it's kind of one of our messages is just, hey, um, we, will, we will work in the regions that you live in um, as you try to, you know, be, be more efficient for, for the next generation. And, and let's be honest, agriculture is a business and businesses need to be efficient to survive. Yes. And so we are always looking at ways to be more efficient in what we do. All right, that's, that's end of sustainability talk. Let's talk policy. Chris, obviously cattlemen, corn producers, we both use a lot of land. We both have goals to accomplish in Washington, D.C. What are you watching this year? WOTUS, top of mind? Oh, WOTUS would certainly be there. Um, and you know, it's, it's one of those things we think we took a step back. Yeah. Um, I, I testified here um, early last month about, uh, you know, we were, we had finally got to a level that we thought people could work with on navigable waters and what was and what wasn't and 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 where we're at and, and then we took a step back or it appears they're trying to take a step back obviously we were pretty vocal on on not not going there um because it does affect a lot of people and and ways that you don't think about you know and and so then you've got you've got other policy obviously down the road there'll be a farm bill discussion yes um, you know are you that, having those conversations start already or are we waiting for the midterms chris so they're, well they're starting at the state level oh so that like the state organizations are starting to get their their ideas together about what okay where do we where are we at what do we like are there some changes we would need because it takes a couple years to really bring it all together so you just don't bring that together in three months yeah you and know? ideally we'll be discussing that farm bill summer 2023 is when you would expect a vote yeah i would guess it's going to be somewhere in, in that vicinity um you know and obviously uh the pace of things in washington is also pretty slow yeah and and so they they do move a few things pretty good um, but policy challenges, for the most part, move pretty slow. Yeah, I've got a feeling we'll have plenty to talk about over the next year, Chris, here on the air about the policy coming from Washington, D.C. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. My pleasure, anytime. Folks, that was Chris Edgington. He is the president of the NCGA Corn Board. I've got to say a huge thank you to our friends at NCGA for the opportunity to come down here to Houston, share the story of corn, American-grown corn going around the world and having it go around the world in the belly of American-grown beef. That's a winning combination, folks. Thanks for listening to AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone.